your neighbor, an idiot just like you. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the Sunday Sermon of September 13, 2020 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. The Apostle Peter asked Jesus, How many times should we forgive? The answer came in a simple but dramatic parable about a servant who received much mercy but refused to extend it to another. Reverend David Pelegi has us consider two probing questions. Why is it essential to imitate God in His goodness from the heart? What are the barriers that keep us from growing into His likeness? Before the sermon, we'd like to tell you about the Artist Corner, a new section on our website. In the Artist Corner, we will occasionally introduce you to some of our talented and creative friends from around Israel. Today, we start with Baruch Ma'ayan, a painter and sculptor whose work depicts biblical scenes like the binding of Isaac and Joseph's reconciliation with his brothers. To see samples of Baruch's art, read more about his story, and find links to buy originals and prints, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org and scroll down to the News and Views section. Thanks! Now, on to the lectionary readings. We gather tonight to worship the Lord, and part of that worship is wanting to hear God's voice. And so we turn our attention to the Word of God. Please be seated for the scriptures that are appointed for this day. The first scripture is from the book of Genesis, beginning to read at verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now therefore, do not be afraid, I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Our second reading is from Romans 12. I'm sorry, Romans 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats dispute or despise him who does not eat. Let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? 
To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord, and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give account to himself to God Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this not to put a stumbling block or a cause to fall in our brother's way. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel portion is from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 18. And it's an ancient tradition to honor the the Lord by standing It's a custom to stand, especially when a king is talking to you. The good news, according to Matthew. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debts. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not. He went and threw him into prison until he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved. They came and told their master all that had been done. And then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? His master was angry and delivered him to the torturers 
until he should pay all that was due him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's pray. So Father in heaven, we ask that uh, as we read your word, you would direct us and guide us and instruct us. And Father, we pray that most of all, you will challenge us. And we ask that uh, you will reveal those hidden things, those things that uh, we run away from or those things that uh, we bury deeply. We pray that um, your Holy Spirit this evening will search our hearts as we listen to your word. We ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I um, don't make any apologies because I am not here perhaps to tell you uh, anything radically new or something exciting, or there's not some uh, undiscovered insight that I have for you this evening, or unfortunately, or fortunately I should say, the job of a preacher is simply to remind folks, remind those who are in the body of Christ, those who are followers of Jesus, of things that we already know. So this is not uh, about God doing a new thing, and uh, this certainly won't uh, give you any insight into what's going to happen in the uh, upcoming months with our pandemic or the American election. Very simply, we as human beings are incredibly forgetful, and we, need, we constantly need to be reminded that's what preachers get paid for. Usually not enough, but, but that's our task. That's our job. And of course, the passage today, which is about forgiveness, is certainly very well known. And uh, over the last few years, uh, throughout uh, uh, in different parts of the world, in, in different uh, Christian communities, uh, there's been uh, a very proper uh, emphasis on forgiveness and on the need for forgiveness. Um, so I'd like to approach this um, in that spirit, yet at the same time give us uh, an understanding, perhaps or even a justification for forgiveness that perhaps we don't hear quite so often. First, the, the uh, parable is quite simple. The parable uh, doesn't in any way confuse us. It doesn't mystify us in any way. It simply reminds us in a very stark and dramatic way, yes, that if we receive mercy, we must give mercy. Mercy received needs to be mercy given. Now, the one, of course, who gives mercy here is God himself. And, the, and those who receive mercy, his, his people, 
And we are the ones who are, of course, required to, uh, to extend mercy to others. Which really brings us, I think, to perhaps one of the most critical subjects uh, of, uh, of being disciples of Jesus. And that's the subject of the imitation of God. Because basically what Jesus is teaching here, even indirectly, is that God himself must be, must be imitated. Now, in the past, and I've talked about the imitation of God, people have actually come to me and, and they say, wait, wait a minute, you're summing up the spiritual life. You're summing up holiness or discipleship. And you're saying it's all about the imitation of God. You're saying it's all about the imitation of Jesus. And I'm saying absolutely. And first of all, I don't, people who, who in some way denigrate or downplay Yes, the importance of what we call imitation, I think uh, are in danger of forgetting of just how powerful and uh, what a powerful human need it is for us to imitate. We, as human beings, were born to imitate. And it could be something uh, as simple as our taste in music, or it could be the clothes that we wear, or the politics of the day that are in fashion. Yes, the morality of the day that is in fashion. And even people who are kind of cool and uh, somehow uh, want to believe that uh, they are not influenced, that uh, we're independent, we're rational, we don't go along with a, with a herd mentality. Uh, they themselves are also influenced. Maybe some folks have even heard of uh, the French-American philosopher uh, René Girard, who, who says that all desire, that all human desire, comes not because we desire an object, but because we desire to copy people. So we were born to imitate something or somebody. The question is, what are we going to imitate? And I think here, God, who understands uh, a very deep human need invites us to imitate. But the, the invitation is not to imitate, not to, uh, to imitate or to copy the latest fad, yes, or <clears throat> the latest theology, or to buy the latest car. The invitation which should fill the deepest of human needs, is to imitate him. So whether it's in the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament or even the New Testament, the invitation is always the same. The invitation is to, uh, in, in the Hebrew Bible, you will, we will hear uh, phrases such as the Lord saying, walk in my ways or cling to me, or trust in me, um, or even uh, holiness itself. When God says, I believe six times in the book of Leviticus, be holy for I am holy, the way that uh, Jewish people and Jewish commentators and later Christians understood the path of holiness, the way to be holy, it wasn't some abstract idea that dropped from the clouds. It wasn't some emotional feeling. It was very practical and very concrete. 
And to be holy like God is holy means that we uh, imitate him or imitate his qualities. Uh, We copy him. And of course, in the New Testament, we have words such as Jesus uh, saying to his disciples, follow me or walk after me. Or we understand uh, words such as uh, obey or uh, mortify, you know, or conform. All of these words, so whether it's holiness as understood in the Hebrew Bible or whether it's discipleship as understood in the New Testament, the invitation for each one of us is to, is to imitate. And of course, I'm not, we're not talking about uh, imitating Jesus sort of in a fundamentalist way. We're not uh, suggesting that you abandon everything, start a fishing business on the northern shore of the Lake of Galilee. <clears throat> we're not necessarily suggesting you be celibate uh, as Jesus was celibate or that you wander from town to town as Jesus did. Uh, we're talking about uh, the imitation yeah, of certain qualities or even a pattern of life. And it's very interesting that uh, when the apostles in the early church, they didn't talk about imitating God, but they, they emphasized imitating Jesus who imitates God for us. They adopted the principles uh, that uh, Jesus taught uh, to you know, the different cultures uh, in which they took his message. But perhaps even a more important issue is really what's the motivation? What's the motivation for imitation? I mean, why should we, you know, why should we do this? And I think if we have a certain maturity, our desire to imitate, our desire to be disciples, our desire to be holy, again, we can easily... um, substitute holiness and discipleship for imitation should be one of gratitude. We, yes, um, in a pure, most ideal sense, we should be grateful of what the Lord has done for us. And because of that gratitude, we should want to please him. We should want to obey him. We should want to put our trust in him. And that uh, gratitude uh, is seen, as a, uh, again, through, really as a, it's a thread or a theme that works its way through, uh, through the Bible. I think when, especially when it comes to the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament, many people are confused and they think, you know, uh, when the Jewish people went to Sinai, that God gave them all these rules and all these rules Yes, all these rules and regulations and so on and so forth, uh, they're required to do this. And people even have the sadly mistaken notion, yes, that somehow uh, Israel or even or Jewish people, in order to be quote-unquote saved or redeemed, they keep all these laws and regulations. I don't think um, many people maybe perhaps realize or ever note that uh, God calls the Jewish people, he delivers them, he saves them uh, from uh, 
the killing of the firstborn in Egypt. He brings them across the sea. He feeds them manna. He gives them water. And the people of Israel, they don't even know who this God is. They uh, don't promise to obey him. They don't uh, promise to keep all these commandments, etc., etc. The point is, is that God, out of grace and mercy, saved the Jewish people. And only after he saved them, after he delivered them, then he said to them, I want to rule over you. And out of gratitude, the people of Israel said, yes, rule over you, because we've seen you redeem us. We've seen you touch us, or, or we've seen you save us. Yes, this isn't a question of the old Reformation question of, of works and grace. This is a question of the people of Israel responding, yes, to God out of gratitude. And of course, we find this, uh, by the way, throughout the, the uh, New Testament, where Again, in an ideal way, when we're mature, we obey God, not because perhaps there's some punishment or not because we're worried about what he might think of us, but first and foremost, we obey him because, again, of, of, because of gratitude. So, verse that we read the other day, I'll read um, uh, it says in the end of Ephesians 4, it says, uh, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ and God forgave you. Yes, and gosh, we could turn to probably every epistle and find, but I was thinking of the verse, verses in First John chapter 4. It says, um, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we may live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Yes, pretty simple, but not always very easy to grasp. It's not always so easy to internalize. And a lot of times such an idea can be quite abstract, especially when we're hungry or angry or lonely or tired. Yes, and we don't necessarily feel in the mood to be grateful. Well, we're not quite sure what God has done for us. And so sometimes gratitude doesn't always work. And so I would suggest in all of this, yes, when it comes to forgiveness, there's a carrot and the stick. The carrot is gratitude. It's something we all should be doing ideally. The stick in all of this, yes, is that if we're not careful and we come to a place where we refuse to forgive, 
or we come to a place where we um, harbor bitterness or we desire revenge, yes, or we don't want to do the hard work, yes, of, uh, of reconciliation in our lives, yeah, there's a price to pay. And that price to pay is that it is well understood uh, something that comes out of, uh, you might say, uh, Jewish spirituality or Jewish Bible commentary uh, in the time before Jesus walks onto the world stage. Yes, the, the Bible commentators of Israel, they begin to, to uh, understand from, from their, uh, you might say, deep reading of the biblical text, hey, you know, God is going to deal with us and God is going to treat us the way that we treat our neighbor. So in this becomes a certain measure for measure. Now the great famous rock star, front man for U2, he has a famous quote, Bono. And Bono says that God is not a God of karma, he is a God of grace. Well, he's right about that. God is a God of grace. And he's not necessarily, he's not a God of karma. But there are times that we'll reap what we sow. Yes, there are times that if we don't forgive, God will not forgive us. And of course, the only, you might say, the only um, um, comment that Jesus ever makes on the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew 6. Yes, forgive us our sins as we forgive others. Boy, that sounds a little radical. And Jesus goes on to explain after he, te- after he gives the prayer that if we don't forgive others, how is it that God's gonna give, forgive us? Now, where does this come from? Again, it, as it comes out of, a, uh, out of a deep Jewish spirituality, kind of a deep reading of the biblical text, and uh, being very attentive, for example, to many of the uh, number of the Proverbs. But uh, my favorite, actually, and we've mentioned this before, and I don't, uh, I hope you don't mind hearing it again, is really the treatment that uh, Matthew, not Matthew, Leviticus 19.18 receives. So you shall love, you know, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we translate or so we, so we understand that verse. And while I don't want to poke, I don't want to poke fun at the disease of, uh, of introspection and the disease of self-hatred, basically the way that we understand the verse, do we not, in our society, is something along these lines. Um, thanks to Freud and Jung and Adler, and Frank Frankel and, and more. We understand the verse to be, well, if I can just get my stuff together and if I can get my self-esteem up to about 90%, then I might be able to go out and love my neighbor. This is the, I, I, I gotta be careful about what I say. Um, this is the, the American pop psychology version or understanding of this verse. 
That's not what the verse means at all, or at least that's not how it was understood. Yes, uh, well before the time of Jesus. Because the verse is ambiguous and needed to be interpreted. And so that interpretation, I can give you the modern dynamic version of how ancient Jews interpreted the verse. Especially, you shall love your neighbors yourself because, right, you shall, it, it's the, 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 sometimes the word neighbor is in question, but the preposition, as yourself, like yourself. And so basically, Jews, probably several hundred years before Jesus, understood very simply to say, you should, and again, this is the 21st century dynamic translation, you shall love your neighbor, yes, because he is an idiot just like you. You shall love your neighbor because he's always late just like you. You shall love your neighbor because he's always making excuses, yes, for his mistakes or his failures just like you. You shall love your neighbor because he tells or she tells little white lies to get get himself out of trouble, just as you do, yes? The way the verse is understood is you shall love your neighbor because he is a human being like you. And just as we want mercy or just as we want people to be forgiving with us, just as we want people to uh, give us another chance uh, or to be patient with us, we should do the same. But then the verse goes on to say, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. And when it says, I am the Lord, people understood. People understood that, hey, there's a God connection here. Again, the way that I deal with my neighbor is the way that God is going to deal with me. And when I was thinking about this, I was thinking of a, a book that... We don't have in our Bible, but it's found in a a Roman Catholic Bible, in the Greek Orthodox uh, churches around the world, uh, consider it a part of their canon. And um, this book was, a book from the Apocrypha, was written 175 years uh, before uh, the birth of Jesus. And I'd like you to hear these selections from that book. And it says the following. And all, all of this is... I think, reiterated in the teachings of Jesus and in the New Testament. So it says as following, and by the way, the name of the book is The Wisdom of of Ben Sirach, or the Greek Sirach, Sirach, uh, and some of you may know the book as Ecclesiasticus. But it says, wrath and anger are hateful things, yet the sinner hugs them tight. Forgive your neighbor's injustice, then when you pray, your own sins will be forgiven. Does that sound like Jesus? Of course it does. Could anyone nourish anger against another and expect healing from the Lord? Yes, can you be angry with someone, refusing to forgive, and then go to God and ask him for mercy? Nope. This is a, um, could anyone refuse mercy to another like himself? Can he, seek, can he then seek pardon for his own sins? And so here, I think it shows that, uh, I hope we understand it, 
This is certainly part, Jesus is uh, a part of uh, what we might call you know, uh, Jewish spirituality of the second temple period. And we're going to come back to this because there's going to be, uh, there's going to be a difference, an important difference that we will highlight in just a moment. But just for a moment, think about the teaching of Jesus. The teaching of Jesus is that if we don't forgive, we let me we don't get forgiveness. If we want to be, uh, if we want to be, uh, receive generosity, Luke 6.38 tells us, then we ourselves should be generous. If we want others to be fair in their judgment of us, Matthew 7.1, then we need to be fair in the way that we judge others and merciful in the way that we judge others. By the way, that verse, you shall not judge, is the most misunderstood and misapplied verse in the entire, uh, perhaps in the entire New Testament. Most people walk around thinking Jesus says, do not judge. He doesn't say don't. He does not say do not judge. We have to judge in order to make decisions in life. He's saying judge, uh, judge with mercy or judge uh, with fairness. Yes, don't be harsh in judgment. But still, judgment is something that has, that has to be made. And so this is the stick in all this. The stick is that if we don't forgive or if we don't show mercy, it's severely cer- or certainly going to affect our relationship with the Lord. And many of us, m- many of us, or many people, actually they find themselves stuck Yes, spiritually and otherwise. Yes, because of our inability, uh, our inability to forgive. By the way, there's, there's also a third incentive in all of this. If we want to talk about gratitude or we want to talk about, um, you know, our relationship with God. And I suppose the third incentive really overlaps with the second one. What's the purpose of God's commandments? Why does God give all these rules and regulations? And so the image that, again, that many people have, even believers, is that God's some old man, and he's up there in heaven, and he's trying to stop us from having fun. He's trying to keep us, you know, uh, somehow joyless. But the purpose of the commandments, yes, the purpose of God's commandments, even this commandment that we should forgive, is that we, as, uh, uh, as his creation, would know blessing. I'm reminded of the, uh, of the verse that, because uh, Aaron's doing Deuteronomy, and uh, in Deuteronomy chapter six, when it, uh, it says uh, the following, it says, but the, It says, the Lord commanded us today to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God. Not so that we'll be miserable. Yes, some uh, that will be, uh, uh, you know, holy Joes uh, and the object of ridicule. But the, the, the purpose of the commandments was so that we will prosper and be kept alive. That God asks us or commands us to do these things actually at the end of the day for our own good. And I am reminded twice that in Deuteronomy, 
God says, I'm giving you these commandments and these laws for your own good. It's for our own blessing. It's for our own well-being. And again, as the um, parable talks about you know, the one who lacks mercy is the one who's tortured. And I think it's, it is pretty appropriate, is it not, that if we're going to refuse to forgive, if we're not going to uh, show mercy to others, that in, in, in essence, uh, it is certainly like a... Um, it is certainly like being tortured. It is certainly like being tortured. It's certainly being stuck, right, uh, in, a, in, a, in a spiritual place where there's uh, no growth, where our intimacy with the Lord um, and our relationship with the Lord may be, will be hampered, and our, our um, relationships with others won't be ones that produces, that brings us uh, prosperity or well-being. They'll certainly do, uh, they'll certainly do, they'll certainly do the opposite. And so Jesus commands us, yes, he commands us to imitate him, to be merciful. But what is it that makes this so difficult for us? What is it that makes, that makes things so hard? What is it that makes us, that gets us stuck uh, spiritually? And here I'd like to refer just uh, to um, the work of Leanne Payne. Leanne Payne was a, a, an instructor at Wheaton. She was an authority on C.S. Lewis and the Lord led her into the healing ministry. And she was in the healing ministry and praying for people for over 40 years. And towards the end of her life, she said, I want to, she said, I I can can conclude the following. You know, I prayed for thousands of people and ministered in many different places. And she said, what keeps people crippled and what keeps people broken, she said, all, in many ways, is all connected with this idea of forgiveness. She said, one, she said, over and over again, yes, I meet people who cannot, yes, forgive others. Yes, there's some trauma, there's some issue. Yes, they have to remain the victim. It's hard for them to give up, um, you know, the, the, to give up and to let go. And instead, they somehow, this... Uh, this hurt or the trauma becomes a part of their identity. She says very similarly, uh, she said that uh, people very often, again, who are broken and who are dysfunctional spiritually, they cannot, they cannot only they not forgive, but oftentimes they can't receive forgiveness. So when someone else comes to, to them and says, I forgive you, or, um, um, or I want to ask for, um, or sorry, to say, please forgive me for doing such and such. Again, there's this inability or this refusal. And there's, uh, she says also there's this disease of self-hatred and that inability somehow to accept ourselves and to accept ourselves as, as God made us. 
And maybe what she's hinting at is that uh, many people are actually bitter and angry against God himself for allowing uh, the, you know, such and such to happen. And the Bible, the parable says, Jesus says at the end of the parable, that forgiveness has to be genuine, right? It has to come from the heart. Can't be something that, uh, we, it's not something emotional, not something that we just flippantly say, hey, you know, I forgive you, right? But it does indeed have to be sincere. But again, people find it difficult. And I think the reason that we find it so difficult is that it requires a lot of hard work. It actually requires some effort. And uh, many of us are into the instant Jesus downloaded on me, you know, bring it on, you know, help me to forgive so-and-so. I'm not going to, um, again, do the hard work of bringing up the trauma or bringing up the pain. I'm not going to, um, you know, bring, expose my weaknesses uh, to the Lord or to maybe a person who's praying for me. All of this somehow needs to, to be hidden. I don't, want, I don't want any more pain. So instead of facing our pain, yes, so what do we do? We run away from it. We bury it, and many of us medicate our pain. So we have uh, all kinds of pharmaceuticals for this, yes? It's called um, chocolate cake. Um, it can be called smut or pornography. It can be alcohol. It can be all kinds of diversions, um, some of them which may seem respectable, respectable, uh, respectable, yes, but they're all designed somehow to take us away yeah, from the reality of that pain. And uh, here the insight of, of, uh, of Leanne Payne is actually quite helpful. She says that when we have that pain, when we, have, when we suffer from a trauma, when we suffer from rejection or whatever it may be, or abuse, yes, that we need to um, not run away from the pain and to stand before the cross and allow right, the presence of the Lord to actually come and bring healing. You know, um, that's the amazing difference I often tell people, if you don't, if we don't understand Jesus as a Jewish teacher of scripture, of Torah in the first century, yes, we're missing something uh, valuable and essential. But some of us, or some people, I'm not going to include myself in this, have now come to understand Jesus as only a first century Jewish rabbi or a first century Jewish teacher. But if we don't see the other, perhaps divine, supernatural part in all this, uh, we as a community will be incredibly impoverished. Because what does Jesus say in uh, Matthew 18? Jesus says, where two or three are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. Now, that's a beautiful promise. Yes, Jesus is in the midst of us. 
We can turn on the, the, the soccer game, the football game, the Premier League. We can watch uh, Liverpool beat Man City, which I hope will happen this year. And then we can say, well, we're two believers and Jesus is in the midst of us. I don't think that's untrue, but I don't think that's the context of the verse because the verse is given in the context of making reconciliation, making peace, right? Means the Lord is present, Jesus is present when certain things are happening. For example, if we go out and make disciples, he's present with us, meaning he's like involved in that effort. When we come to the Lord's table, he's present. At the beginning of Matthew 18, it says when we welcome those who are lowly and those who aren't real important and those who aren't rock stars, right? When we welcome those, we're welcoming Jesus, right? Matthew is a gospel about the presence of Jesus. And where is Jesus? He's in the midst. He is in the midst giving us, yeah, grace and divine help to either give or to receive forgiveness. That's how important it is, yes, that he will come to our aid, our help, yes, in the process. That, the, that reconciliation and the showing of mercy is so critical and it's so crucial, yes, that he is willing He's not willing. He he promises to be present. He promises to be present in the midst. Yes, whether it's building, repairing bridges, bringing correction, maybe even a form of discipline, but giving and receiving forgiveness. Giving and receiving forgiveness. We have that promise. Something we don't have to do on our own, whether it's expressing gratitude or imitating, you know, the Lord, imitating God, imitating the Messiah as he imitates the Father. We can call upon him to help us and to aid us and to strengthen us and to empower us in the process. So what I think is, I think it's really important Finally, maybe there's two final things. Finally, there's, I think there's an important difference um, and we need to make an important distinction. There is the I can't do it and there is the I won't do it when it comes to forgiveness. Yes, there are people who say, many of us, maybe are currently in process. I'm having a hard time forgiving. I'm having a hard time showing mercy. It's not that I don't want to do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. And this we need to remember that uh, forgiveness is a process. Uh, that it's not something that, especially where there's deep hurts or deep wounds, it's not something that happens Immediately, It's a little bit like peeling an onion. You need to kind of peel it off layer by layer. But we all do need to be in process. And we all need to call upon the Lord, 
yes, uh, or to be in the presence of the Lord to know that healing, to get us unstuck. But then there are the people who say, I won't do it. And these are the people I think uh, Jesus refers to as being in big trouble on judgment day, where there could be very, very severe consequences when we ultimately stand before the Lord and have to give an account. Yes? It's I won't forgive. I won't forgive. This is my pain. This is my trauma. Yes? Uh, and by keeping this alive, I'm, this is a lie. But uh, we oftentimes believe we're punishing uh, the person who hurt us. Or we want to make sure that what happened to us is not easily forgotten. Now for those who are in the category tonight of saying, I won't, yes, I will not, then I would urge you or I would invite you to pray a simple prayer. And that simple prayer, yes, to help one get unstuck would, be, would go like this. And I learned this 45 years ago from my Sunday school teacher in Tampa, Florida. His name was Dallas Albritton. And Dallas Albritton used to tell his Sunday school class, he said, if you're not willing, pray to the Lord and say, make me willing to be made willing. Make me willing to be made willing. When we come to the, um, the end of the service, our Kenyan liturgy has the following prayer. It's a prayer of thanksgiving or the prayer after communion. It's on page four. And it's very appropriate for us today uh, and very appropriate for the passage in which we read. It says... Um, We thank you that in you we're kept safe forever and that the broken fragments of our history are gathered up in the redeeming act of your dear son. I think so, first and foremost, I often have this struggle. Why did God make me the way that I am? Why did these things happen to me? Why do I suffer? Why did people hurt me? Why is it that I hurt other people? Yes, what uh, possessed me to, to do such a thing? And then, you know, it, it, uh, the prayer here from the, the Church of Kenya is reminding us that we need to make sense of our lives and all that happens to us through the lens or the grid or whatever you want to call it of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus the Messiah, right? That becomes the ultimate way in which we judge ourselves. But then the prayer, it goes on to say, help us to walk faithfully, right? In the company of angels and saints, uh, perhaps in the communion of saints, but help us to walk faithfully in community. Yes, and of course, the only way that we can walk faithfully in community is by giving and receiving forgiveness. And by the way, I should point out here that because we give 
and receive forgiveness, it doesn't mean we forgive evil or we allow people to abuse us or allow people to hurt us. I think that's common spiritual sense. Um, And then we declare our faith in what? In the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body. Why is the resurrection of the body so important? Because I think so many of us hold on to our hurt and we hold on to our trauma, yes, and we refuse to forgive or we can't allow ourselves to forgive because we worry that if we forgive, there won't be justice. There won't be fairness in the universe. And the prayer reminds us is that all of us, all of us stand before, well, all of us will have to stand before the judgment seat of the Lord of Jesus, and we will have to give an account. And ultimately, there will be not only mercy, but there will be justice. But many of us aren't quite sure that's true. We're not quite sure that God will vindicate us, or we're not quite sure that God will bring justice on our behalf. And sometimes our faith is weak. So we're praying that we, you know, that we will be able to declare with confidence the resurrection of the dead. And of course, the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins, which is the central message. Yes, in many ways, it's not only a central, a central message of the New Testament, but a central message of who God is. Yes, remember when Moses asked to see God's glory and uh, God passed by and showed him, not his face, but and what did God say? The Lord, the Lord, you know, the one who is gracious and merciful, forgiving sin, pardoning rebellion, and that's God's character. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.